Good morning and welcome to the Automotive Iron Host, Lewis Alfan with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, two tools will try to answer any automotive questions you may have. Go ahead and give us a call. Our number is 291-6901. And use the area code here in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, which is 225. You can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. There you go. We sure wish you would. I see we got a couple lines lit up already. We're going to line with Clark. Good morning, Clark. Uh, good morning. I've got a 2004 Camry. Mm-hmm. Just had a brake job done mm-hmm. on it. And I notice occasionally I get some shuddering okay. when I hit the brakes. It doesn't do it all the time. Mm-hmm. And I haven't had the, I've had the car. I bought it new in the front end. I've owned the car the whole time. I've never had struts replaced on or anything done on the front end, and I'm trying to figure out whether I should take it back to them and have them look at it. Yeah, almost or, every time, if you got a shutter, if the shutter is when you apply the brakes mm-hmm. and goes away when you let off the brakes, that's going to be a warped rotor or rotors generally on the front of the car. Now, they, a rear, that makes absolutely no difference. <laughs> well, <laughs> Depending on what kind of rotor they use, yeah. you know, or if they got it uh-huh. on the car right. I mean, there's any number of things. If you got a little tiny burr on the hub and you put a new rotor on top of that and now the rotor's wobbling, you got a shutter. I got if it. you buy a rotor that was dropped because the chucklehead in the parts store dropped it and put it back on the shelf, I mean, there's so many things. But the point okay. is, there's generally going to be rotors front and rear a rear rotor is going to give you sort of a jerking as you come to a stop and there's a car kind of pulse to a stop no we have rear drums yeah we got, and if it's got a rear drum you're not gonna have that issue but a shake when you break in the steering wheel that's almost always going to be the rotor i would just look to see if possibly they got a defective rotor possibly mm-hmm. something got burred up on the hub you know the old rotor could have been sort of rusted to the hub where they took it apart something dislodged a little bit they didn't clean uh-huh. it up they just popped the new rotor down on top of it and something like a half a thousandth of run out at that hub will result in about four or five thousand run out at the edge of that rotor because you, you move would it further out of center. Would it do it every time you hit? No. For some reason, it's going to generally do it on moderate braking. And there's a light braking, you hardly ever feel it. And on real hard braking, you hardly ever feel it. But on moderate braking, you'll feel it. And it's going to be sort of, they comes and goes, but a lot of times if they get hot, they'll do it more. You know, I've seen cars do that all my life and there's no rhyme or reason it seems like if rose water would always shake but they don't you know sometimes they do sometimes yeah. they don't and it will get worse in time the things that i'd want to make sure of did it start shaking almost immediately after you got the car back or was it a little while after oh no it was right right, after right away yeah. i'm suspecting either the rotor is not completely seated down on the hub for some reason or they got a bad rotor I got you. So, hey, just like you said, it wasn't on light braking. Mm-hmm. It wasn't on. It's usually moderate braking. I tell you where you really feel it. Come down. You know, you're going down the interstate. Come down an off ramp and just apply your brakes there because you got more load on the car because you're going downhill. And generally, mm-hmm. you're braking moderately hard. And that's when you'll really feel it. Mm-hmm. But you know, yeah, stop so- and go traffic, you hardly ever feel it at all. And really, ironically, on hard braking, I guess it's just clamped down tight enough where you don't feel it. everything's tight. Yeah, because I was, you know, I didn't know, because I think we probably need to replace the struts, because the car is 14 years old. Well, possibly, but that's not going to cause that problem. Yeah, but I just figured that would, I didn't know if that exasperated them more. Not really, not really. That's going to, if it 
comes when you break goes away when you quit break and that's going to be a rotor now obviously if the front end is real loose you may feel it more but i would certainly go back and have them look at those rotors again since it started right after they were right and i mean they can warranty those rotors they can send them back wherever they got them but a lot of times you'll get a damaged rotor i've seen where we take brand new rotors out of the box and check them and they're not cut true from the factory i mean I had a set of Ford rotors I got from the Ford dealer, had 8,000s run out in one and 14,000s in the other. And their spec is 1,000. And that was brand new out of the box. Yeah, what I'm trying to do is this is my car for my son. He's Mm -hmm. getting ready to go to school in Oklahoma, and I'm trying to get it in shape to make sure that there's no problem with Mm -hmm. it. One of the things I I noticed when we replaced the antifreeze in it Mm -hmm. about four years ago, The water pump went out on it right after that. Can happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, if you got a little you know, scale in yeah. there, you clean it up. The scale is kind of holding it together. But I mean, yeah. really, it's sort of a good thing because you don't want scale holding the water pump together anyway. It was going to go out right. regardless. That may have you know sped it up a little bit, but it was going to go out regardless. It probably at the worst possible time. So it's better to yeah. do it when you know about it. You know. Yeah, and I was talking with my brother, who's done this a lot. He does a lot of work on mm-hmm. his own car, and he said just about every time he did that, he had to replace the water pump. So I was a little leery about replacing that again because i sure yeah. don't want to do another one well that ain't gonna happen again i mean it's probably the, the time frame before the first was replaced you know, it might have went eight to ten years before it got replaced first time or, or just the oh. age of the car but oh oh yeah you're right on that yeah mm-hmm. never said to change it yeah if you change every three four years you should never have any trouble with that okay okay all right well i appreciate your help all right Clark. thanks man bye-bye bye-bye all right 291-6901 is the number and we've got mike online good morning mike Yes, sir. I, I'm wondering if you guys could help me. I've got a family. I've got two kids and a wife, and wife doesn't like backpacking. I had to get a trailer. Okay. And I need, I need a truck to pull it. That's Ford from 1990. That's great, runs great, mm-hmm. but it only holds three people. So I have to get a new truck. Okay. And I was looking at something like 2004 to 2006. Chevrolet, diesel, and I like to go off-roading to the desert, so it's got to be four-wheel drive. Okay. There's like, I'm looking for something, but it's got to be, I don't know about how the transmissions are. Right. Well, let me ask you this, Mike, because the most important factor, how heavy is the trailer that you're pulling? Well, it's, with everything, it's like 6,000 pounds. Okay, so, really so not heavy terribly heavy, yeah. And what are the aerodynamics of it? Is it something that's shaped pretty well cuts through the wind or is it real boxy well it's an old airstream so it's okay that's be pretty aerodynamic good uh yeah almost any three-quarter ton chevrolet truck in the age range you're talking about will pull that weight without very you know very little trouble most of them if the older ones are going to have a 4l 80 e which was a good transmission and some of the newer ones are going to have the six speed but almost any of them with just reasonable maintenance will do that job for you i mean if you told me hey i got a fifteen thousand pound trailer and it's made like a sale you know i'd give you some different advice but yeah i think <laughs> any three-quarter ton truck and you know unless you want a diesel for some reason me personally unless you're just doing a tremendous amount of towing i don't think you'll get the money out of a diesel they excel when it comes to driving across country all the time, pulling Towing a heavy a big, weight. Yeah. They're perfect for that. But if you're doing a lot of in-town driving and occasionally trailering something, it's generally you're not going to make up the difference in higher maintenance costs and a higher repair costs to justify the diesel. Uh-huh. Now, but with that being said, it the diesel does have an Allison transmission in it. It does. Which is a, a much beefier, heavier-duty transmission. Mm-hmm. 
But again, I don't oh. think that's going to be much of a yeah. factor with the with the, with the with little bit of weight you're going to pull with it. The aerodynamics you're talking about pulling. Uh huh. Well, just like some mountain climbs that are kind of scary. Around well, there. if you wanted something just a little beefier, you, yeah. If you get the diesel, the GM diesel initially had some problem with the injectors, but by the time frame you're talking, all that had been worked out. It's really one of the best, least problematic diesels on the road, in my opinion. We see very, very little few. trouble out of them. And the Allison transmission is just almost bulletproof. I mean, that's what they really? put in the big 18-wheelers, yeah. yeah. It's five-speed and the six-speed, they're all Allison transmissions? Yeah, and really, I don't want to talk out of school. If I had Josh on here, you could tell you for sure, but I believe that's the same transmission. They just block out a gear on the ones that don't have it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they just, it just, you won't go to that other gear. But I believe, uh-huh. I believe I've heard that they're about the same transmission. Uh-huh. Oh. Well, that's good news to hear. Mm-hmm. I appreciate it. Yeah, the, the, but the GM diesel with the Allison, again, just do your maintenance. Yeah. You, know, you want to be servicing that transmission. If you're towing, particularly in the mountains, I'd be changing the fluid in it about every 30,000 miles. Change the rear differential fluid you know, every 30,000 miles. And, I mean, you could probably drive it till you got tired of it. Oh, okay. Well, that's good, too. All right. Uh, there was one, one last thing. Sure. I've got a Pontiac GTO mm-hmm. with – there's a – bearing in the the axle's got a two-piece axle and the bearing in the middle is going out and i was wondering if if there's any tricks on getting it out without pulling the now, which uh, which axle are you talking about which axle mike the main drive axle oh the drive shaft the transmission yeah 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 that shaft is not available anymore yeah you can't can't <laughs> get that shaft from gm anymore because we've right. had a lot of them come in with that problem and what they've been having to do is ship them off to a drive shaft and have them rebuilt place and have the shaft rebuilt because gm has discontinued it in fact they don't even supply parts for it anymore as far as i know it oh, best great. would be to go on the internet and find a drive shaft specialty shop because there are there are a lot of them around where are you calling from mike los angeles okay yeah out in the los angeles area california seems to have a lot of those kind of shops because there's a lot of custom vehicles right. being built out there but yeah find a good reputable drive shaft shop and you can tell by the google rankings how good they are and they can rebuild that shaft for you completely all right and it's, it's not real expensive i mean it's a little time consuming because you have to pull it out and send it off but that's probably your best bet by far i mean unless you can find a local guy who can do it i'm not sure in you know, your area if there's going to be a local guy i know in, in baton rouge there's really <laughs> nobody locally that mm-hmm. does them okay well all right i thank you guys for your help and i hope you have a good day all right mike thanks for calling man all right see you all guys right. Mm-hmm. bye-bye all right Let's see if we can catch another call do we need to take a break he said we can catch one more here. All right. Uh, go ahead. This is, is Al? Yeah. Go ahead, Al. Good morning. I just replaced the brake caliber on the front of my 95 Cadillac, mm-hmm. and I road tested it. works real great. I'm real familiar with it. But I look in the repair book I'm looking at here, and it says never replace just one caliber. Always replace them in pairs. Have yeah, that's common knowledge because if one is bad, there's the a reason. And generally, far yeah, generally the fluid is contaminated. That's the reason that one went bad, and it's going to affect the other one on the other side. And what can happen too, if you replace one, you may start getting a brake pull because it's going to react faster than the other one does. So, as a general rule, what you do to one side, you do to both sides. That being said, I have seen people change yep. one and never have a moment's trouble out of it. You know, it's just you got to be prepared. If the other side starts to hang up and give you trouble, you're going to have to come back and change it. But, you know, if you can do the work yourself and you don't have to, you're not going to have a, a bunch of trouble. You don't, I mean, if you're taking the car from here to New York once a week, I'd probably change both of them. If you're putting around town with it, 
I mean, you could do one. Yeah. Okay. I just want to be sure we're nothing mm-hmm. dangerous here. So. That's nothing dangerous. At worst, you'll probably start to feel a pull when you break. It might start drawing towards one side or the other. The two calibers aren't perfectly matched, but huh. that doesn't always happen. Okay. I do appreciate it. All right. All right. Have a great day. Yeah, Thank man. You. Thank you. Bye bye. All right. We got to take a quick little break. Matt and Joey, hang on. You'll be straight up after this break. If you ever plan to move west. You bow and me are a good match? Yes. As I gaze into my crystal ball, I see him over a grill. And now he's on the couch watching football, eating a large plate of meat. Meat? Yes, no veggies. Now I see him on a boat, fishing, and then on a deer stand. Fishing and hunting? Yes, I'm afraid so. Wouldn't it be great if you could look into your car's future to see the road ahead? At Agco, you can. Take your car to Agco once a year for a general inspection. It's the best way to catch any potential problems that could lead to bigger repairs down the road. Ah, it looks like all this man wants to do is watch sports, hunt, fish, and grill. Oh, Madame Babushka, I love all those things. He sounds perfect. Thank you so much. Huh, c'est la vie. My work here is done. Keep your car on the road longer. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Welcome back, and thanks for listening to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, Twin Tools will try to answer any automotive questions you may have. And we've got Matt's been patiently holding. Good morning, Matt. Hey, good morning. Thanks for taking my call. You sure. Quick question. So I got a 2012 Chevy Tahoe SPZ, mm-hmm. and I'm here in South Carolina, so we got the heat humidity. And recently, it's been blowing out, like, I'll call it fog or steam out of the vents and not blowing as cold. And I was going to see what you recommend there or what could possibly be causing that. Normally, well, I'm not going to say normally, but sometimes, are you losing any coolant at all? Matt, that you've noticed, if you check your coolant level, the antifreeze, and make sure you're not losing any coolant. I haven't noticed anything. Very often what can happen is if the heater core starts to leak, and we have seen a few heater cores go bad in that model, you start to get a little bit of the coolant down in the tray, and that will make a steam kind of a miss, particularly if your windshield is starting to get like almost a greasy feeling on it. you got to clean it more often on the inside. That's one thing. Another thing is if it's not dripping fully, the drain pan's not fully dripping, you'll get some moisture build up in there, and that can create that fog. Fog, yeah. Type. Beyond that, if it's not cooling as well as it used to, I've also seen where if the system has a small leak and it gets a little bit low on refrigerant, what happens with air conditioning is there's two sides. You have the high side, which is high pressure, low side, which is lower pressure. When the pressure drops, refrigerant changes state. That's what absorbs the heat, and that's what makes it all work. Well, when it gets low, the low side goes lower. So it gets basically colder, and the core will start to freeze up, and it can cause that kind of problem. So I would make sure, number one, you're not losing any coolant. If you're not losing any coolant and you're not getting like a greasy feeling on the inside of the windshield, that's probably not as likely. Number two, make sure it's dripping fully. And just because it's dripping some, it's got to drip fully. Particularly on a high humidity day, it'll be a constant drip, leaving right. a big, big puddle under the car. If it it's not, yep. if it's not, then you want to get in and blow that drain out real good. And if not, I'd probably have the refrigerant level checked on the system. And that's a little more complicated than it sounds. It used to be in the old days, you could put some gauges on until it was low. You cannot do that with that system. The only way to accurately test that is to vacuum the system measure what comes out, and then put the right amount back in. 
And anything okay. you do other than that is going to end up costing a lot more money and, and messing things up because the charge on that is pretty critical. It only holds about a pound and a half if it's a single unit, probably three pounds if it's a dual unit. But if you get the charge level off on it, you'll really have problems. Now, if that drain okay. is not draining all the way, you need to find out why. A lot of times back the early 2000s, Chevrolet had a, a filter Cabin that actually filter. went in front of that evaporator to kept it clean. You had to change the filter out every so often. And yours is what, an 04? 12. Uh, 12. Oh, 12. They've started They've putting started the cabin filter back. back on some, but I'm not sure exactly when. Make sure it doesn't have a cabin filter. If it doesn't, don't worry about it. If it does have, then make sure that cabin air filter is clean. Because, like Brian said, that will cause the drain to stop up. And that can also restrict the airflow through Correct. the evaporator and cause the same issue. Correct. Where's that drain at? It's going to be outside. It's going to be outside under the firewall. You're not going to be able to see it from the top. You have to take the inner fender liner out to see the drain itself. But if you got a fair amount of water coming out on a high humidity day, it's probably working like it's supposed to. Yeah, if you got a big puddle under the car, then it's probably working okay. But if you don't have a cabin filter, you can take the resistor out for the blower motor and take a flashlight and look up in there and you can see the evaporator core. And if it's full of junk and hair and, and dirt and everything, that needs to be cleaned out. Yeah. Because sometimes just the normal getting in and out of the truck, and particularly if you have like a pet in your truck or right. like that, it can draw enough stuff up in there to plug that evaporator core. It doesn't get an airflow through it. It'll start to freeze up, which yep. will do the same thing, and also diminish your cooling. Okay. And then last question, mm-hmm. if it is, if I take it in, they say, yeah, it's low on refrigerant. That mm-hmm. means i got a leak somewhere. You do have Correct. a leak, yes, sir. And I'm going to tell you, right? the, the most common place that those vehicles leak are the charge ports. There's two little charge ports. It's like a little ball bearing. They don't use a straighter valve like you used to. It's like a little ball bearing. It. Those are notorious for leaking. They're extremely inexpensive, and they're easy to change. So I would change those two regardless. I mean, I would even – you can yeah, buy them for go. maybe four or five bucks a piece, and it takes like five minutes to change them. You can evacuate the system anyway. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I just, just tell whoever's doing work, go ahead and put two new charge ports on it because they are notorious for leaking. And what what they ought to do is go ahead and evacuate evac the system, measure the charge like Lewis was saying, and they're going to add a little bit of dye to it when they recharge the system. And that way you'll be able to see a leak right. with a UV light and a special pair of glasses the only other place i've seen significantly leaking on those trucks and this generally happens somewhere up around hundred thousand miles is the condenser will crack on them they had a lot a lot of trouble with that and i think there's maybe a policy adjustment on those for a certain period of time so if the condenser ends up cracked on it check with gm make sure you're not covered under a policy adjustment because they did extend the warranty out for that right where the filter dryer hooks to the condenser it vibrates and they crack right there Okay, and then once they put the dye in there, we'll be able to see yes, that, right? Yes, yes. And okay. really, they can take a, a leak detector and go over it and find that. If, if they're a halfway decent air conditioning shop, they can find that even without dye. Okay, awesome. All right. Well, thank you, guys. That, that sends me in the right direction. I appreciate it. All right, All right. thanks for calling, man. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, let's see. We've got – Joey's been patiently holding. Good morning, Joey. Hey, good morning, guys. Thanks for taking my call. No, uh, really appreciate y'all's business because I've either got coworkers, family, or somebody. <laughs> I'm bringing to y'all shops somewhere, getting their maintenance or whatever done. Well, so, good. Thank we you. Appreciate it. I've been blessed that uh, I've got really good old school mechanical skills. Mm-hmm. I put a four post lift in my shop. I got trans jack. I got you know I got all kinds of stuff going. So I need advice on one thing. Sure. I've got two trucks. My two trucks I'm repairing, but. So I'm getting closer to retirement, Mm -hmm. and my wife cannot push in the clutch all the way on my 05 Dodge Ram 3500 diesel. I got a six-speed manual. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I do all the driving, but as I get closer to retirement, we tow 
a 42-foot fifth-wheel camper. It weighs about 13,000 pounds. Okay. So I've been towing it with, with that rig, and it has just been a towing beast. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's been marvelous. But anyway, I'm trying to decide. No, on the newer Dodges, I've heard that they've gone to a newer transmission, and I'm probably going to pronounce it wrong. So I wanted your advice on that. If I decided to go with an 18 and a 3500, I might go to full-wheel drive, depending on we're not going camping in the woods. But Mm -hmm. anyway, what do you think about the new automatics? I think it's called an ASIN or something. Yeah, yeah, ASIN is the company that manufactures it. I don't remember the exact designation, but ASIN's been making transmissions for years and years and years and years and years. years. Make Toyota transmissions, make a lot of Jeep transmissions. But I have not seen a lot of trouble with it. As far as four-wheel drive, Joey, unless you need four-wheel drive, I would not get it because it doesn't make anything better. And it's not better than a two-wheel drive. It's just got four-wheel capability. But, again, you got a lot more moving parts. you got a lot more stuff to go wrong. It complicates repairs. Any repair you would make is harder with the four-wheel drive. So if you need it, that's great. But if you don't need it, I would avoid it. And something I would consider pulling that kind of weight would be a dually instead of a single wheel. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, what I have is a dually. Okay, yeah. okay, great. Yeah, as long as you're yeah. getting a 350 oh. series dually, yeah. I mean, a uh, 30 right. series, yeah, you're not going to have any problem with any of that. I mean, we don't really see a lot of trouble out of them. You're pulling that kind of weight. I would probably want to service that transmission about every 30,000 miles, you know, yeah. just a little early. But I mean, beyond that, particularly because you can do it yourself. But yeah, I, I don't think you'll have a lot of trouble out of it. Okay, all right. That's cool on the advice side. So, speaking of my 05 Ram 3500, mm-hmm. like I said, that's a dually. The heavy-duty lift can handle its problem, but I'm getting to the point now. I got, uh, I guess, 145,000 miles, mm-hmm. which isn't much for that. Right. Truck. And about 40% of all the miles is towing. Okay. That's what I use it for. Mm-hmm. I don't use it for daily commuting. Right. <laughs> Pain to drive that thing. Right. So, the clutch is just now. Every now and then, it'll slip a little bit, like mm-hmm. in the fourth gear. So I'm like, oh, okay, it's probably wearing out. It That's probably fine. Because I do downshift when I'm stopping. Right. I, I don't know. I'm old school. I just do it by instinct. Mm-hmm. So does any, anybody in town still, like, remachine a flywheel? Because I know yeah. I'm by the clutch pressure plate. Yeah, Zimmer oh. Gears can do that for you. Yeah. Or okay, Choctaw, Zimmer, South okay, Choctaw. Good. Yeah, Earl. Uh, he yeah, can do that for you. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. That's, that's good. And when I buy my clutch and pressure plate, I look online, and there's, like, million of them and everybody's no. got all this high performance junk i don't need i no. i don't need all that so i'm thinking i'll just try to go with mopar yeah mopar you're not gonna go wrong because you're gonna get exactly the same thing you had before and, and it lasts as long yeah the pedal effort will be good yeah. and all that if you can't find a mopar for whatever reason there's a company called luke l-u-k those are pretty decent we've used those in, in several applications and they generally have an oe equivalent that okay so you start going to that aftermarket stuff heavy duty man you end up with a, a clutch pedal that just it's a chore to drive yeah and it's hydraulic clutch anyway so right. I, I, you know it's easy. I'm, i don't want to mess with anything right so i should replace what the throw out bearing with the pressure plate yes. clutch yes right. okay mm-hmm. all right, and cool. if, it's, if it's got a pilot bushing in the crankshaft you want to replace that also mm. and all that generally comes with the kit with the clutch kit if Got you buy it. from from Chrysler, you have to ask for it. But right. there's a little bearing or bushing in the end of the crankshaft on most right. of them, not all of them. But that bearing will wear out, and it can chew up the end of your transmission input shaft if you don't change it. All right. So on the uh, on the AC blower motor on that same truck. Mm-hmm. All right. So I know it's going out because every now and then it quits working. If I tap on it, mm-hmm. it starts. Okay, probably the brushes are dirty on the motor. Can you take that motor apart and no. clean the stator and the brushes? No, no it's, it's, it's all sealed it. up. It's, it's, it's all welded together. Yeah, it's all sealed unit. And, and, and you couldn't yeah. get the parts if you, if you could get it apart. 
Yeah, okay. Well, I mean, any, you can okay. take anything apart. Yeah, you take it apart, just can't put it back together. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I can cut it apart. Oh, yeah, right. definitely. With a smoke wrench, uh, you can get it apart. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah, might, yeah, you're right. You might want to change uh-huh. the resistor pack also. Yeah. They generally While when, I'm at it. Yeah, yeah. when the motor's so, bad, usually that the resistor pack is going bad, too. Because yeah. the motor's drawing more amperage right. as it wears out and it yeah, starts to burn those okay. stuff. That makes sense. I was planning on doing that. Mm-hmm. Should I go with the Mopar or go I with do. Aftermarket? I would. I always go with okay. Mopar. They're, yeah. not, they're not that expensive. Gotcha. They're not out of line with the aftermarket. There you go. Okay, good. All right, second vehicle. I got an 03 Chevy Suburban. I think I've called about this one before. This is that record-setting half-million-mile mm-hmm. Chevy, which still boggles my mind. I finally I pulled the tranny on it. I took it all apart. I made my own spring compressor, so I mm-hmm. get that uh, rear spring right. set mm-hmm. out. So I don't think it's... They got like a Sprague assembly. They got another one that's got little like cylinder bearings and a mm-hmm. copper plate top and bottom and some springs in it. Well, I'm replacing that too. It fell apart, and I think the drive shell looks like it's got a little wear, so I'm chunking it. Yeah, I'd change and that reaction a, shell for sure. Yeah. as an upgrade yeah, when you yeah. can get that. I thought about it. Yeah, I saw one. I saw one aftermarket was heat treated. Yeah, heat treated or billet. You right. want one that's not, not welded. You want one that's a billet one piece. Got it. Okay. And the other thing I wanted to look at, and I can't seem to find it. I found one online, but I, I wanted to ask. I'm thinking of, I want to go ahead and get me a little bushing removal tool mm-hmm. set because I might as well just replace all the input and output shafts. Seem fine. There's no gouges. No, mm-hmm. I can't catch my fingernail anywhere on those. Yeah, uh, I changed all those bushings. Though. Yeah, those bushings. I mean, they're, they're, they're gonna be worn right. out for sure. Okay, that's what I was planning on doing. Yeah, also the accumulator and, pistons. Pistons are going yeah, to accumulate. They're plastic. Right. You can get aluminum yeah. ones to put back. Well, I found out this thing's been rebuilt because okay. you're right. The accumulator piston was aluminum. Okay. And the torque converter wound up being an aftermarket. Okay. But I'm just changing it out too. I'm yeah, not, I would. I'm not going to keep anything. No, right? I would. not with that kind on of that knowledge. end of it. My the clutch packs, none of the clutches were totally wore out. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm not, I'm not saving in. Yeah, those clutches last almost, almost forever. Pack. Yeah, they almost last forever, man. It, they unless you really abuse the transmission, the clutches hardly ever wear out in them. No, it, they they weren't slap wore out. It just had a lot of clutch material in it. The oh, the, on the thrust bearings. I was going to look for just instead of trying to, to determine which thrust bearings are wore out, I just want to replace them all. Yeah, I would. Okay, that's what I was planning on doing. Mm-hmm. If I can find a, a kit, you know. Usually like there's a, a rebuild yeah. kit with everything in it. Okay, because the ones I was looking at didn't have all, they would have like two of the thrust bearings, and there's about five or six. Right. Now, you can generally get a rebuild kit that's going to have almost everything that you need. Where would you recommend I get the rebuild kit? Oh, man, I'm, I'd have to talk to Josh and find out where he okay. gets them from. But there are companies that sell rebuild kits. I'm sure you go online, just type in transmission rebuild kit. Several people pop yeah, up. Yeah, I, there's, yeah, there's quite a few. I just didn't know who to. Uh, I, I know we use Transtar a lot at work. Yeah, yeah, a company called Transtar. Yeah. Okay. We've had good luck with them. Okay, and I'm, while I'm at it, and I got the while I got the transmission out, I'm a, I pulled off the rear plate. Right. On the, Change uh, cover gasket the, and seal. Yep, yep, mm-hmm. yep, and it didn't look like you had mentioned before that that sometimes, sometimes that rear plate will in them. seat. Yeah, that pitting in them sometimes. Yeah, I didn't see anything. Yeah, well, you're right there. But I know, I know the rear seal's leaking, so I was going to yep. put a new rear seal in that plate, or should I just re- replace it as a? You can buy the plate. 
with the seal already in with, yeah you can yeah. but i mean you can change the seal and, and the cover gasket just change that gasket underneath the plate you don't right. have to change the plate if it's not fitted up what about the oil sending units on that five three where, wouldn't be a bad idea it's really, up on right the back, the back behind where it's always been on a small block yeah with a transmission out it's right there except it's hard to reach ah. it's pretty easy with okay. transmission out yeah yep. well while i got it out i might as well yep. do that they too. go out okay. a lot all right all right that'll, man that'll do it thank y'all all right, all right thanks man I got to take a quick little break. Brett, Mark, hold on. You'll be straight up after the break. Got to run, Paul. I'm heading to Agco for my car's general inspection. I take it in once a year so the team at Agco can catch any potential problems early. And they remind me of important upcoming maintenance. Things like oil changes, changing my timing belt, tire wear. Yeah, a general inspection each year would be a great thing for my marriage. Paul, thanks for bringing Marie in for her general inspection. Overall, she's in great shape. I did dial back her shopping system to save you a little money, and her nag button was stuck, so I loosened that up so you can work on your golf game and not those honeydews. As far as preventive maintenance, you've got a big anniversary coming up in April, so put that on your calendar, and I'd suggest flowers for no reason and more compliments. And Agco saved me thousands of dollars. Paul? Paul, are you listening? Oh, oh, yeah, sorry. Sounds like I need to take Marie... (laughs) me my car into agco for a general inspection keep your car on the road longer schedule your general inspection today at agco automotive agco it's the place to go hey welcome back just join us the automotive hour i'm your host lewis altazan with mr brian terry hey between tools we'll try to answer any automotive questions you may have and we've got brett's been patiently holding good morning brett hey man look i've got an inclination sensor mm-hmm. and i don't know where it is or anyway my off-road on my 2015 Chevrolet, mm-hmm. the inclination sensor is going bad on the front and back, front and rear, not the side. The side to side works, and the steering inclination sensor, you know, incl- I mean, the steering angle sensor uh-huh. right. works. But where is it? <laughs> Most of the time, that's up under the console somewhere. I'd have to look it up yeah. and service that. I don't know on that particular model, but generally they're under the console somewhere. And what, what is it called in the in the in the uh, in the Chevrolet? parts list man i mm, you'd have to yeah. go to a parts guy every one of them has their own little vernacular and they call them so many different things it's not like a standardized term or anything i tell you the best thing to do is get your hands on some type of service data where you can see exactly what you're dealing with and then if you get the part in your hand take it down to the chevrolet dealer with the vin number and tell them I want this piece for this car that's going to be by far your best bet. I mean, the only other thing you can do is just go down there, and they're going to have on their computer screen, they can type up sensors. It'll bring up every sensor on that vehicle, and you just have to kind of read through and see which one pertains to what it is you're trying to do. Right. But there's really no standardization on that, man. One company will call it one thing, another company. Even on two different models of the same company, they'll call them something completely different. I mean, that affects so many things in my vehicle, my grade braking, you know, the down, the, the engine braking, it, it, that's what determines that, that. Yeah, it's tied into that chassis control module, so it's one of the main inputs. It's going You got that, and you have what they call a yaw sensor. Like you said, it gets a side-to-side. Then the steering angle right. sensor, and they all have to not only work, but they all have to correlate one with another. Right. I was wondering why whenever I was going down a hill with a trailer, it would, every once in a while, grade break or, you know, and that was... I was like, well, what the heck? So I put it on my off-road, mm-hmm. the off-road screen on my truck, mm-hmm. and then it started, you know, I was like, oh, it's 
still staying at zero, and I know I'm way past. Yeah, zero. yeah, all right. Yeah, it's just not seeing the grade. So, I mean, see, with a computer, it doesn't matter what reality is; it's what those sensors tell it it is. Right. So, I mean, it's, it's kind of like I told a guy the other day. He was, he was talking about his truck was hard to start, and I said, "Well, the sensor's bad. It thinks it's forty degrees below zero outside, so it's flooding the engine." He's like, well, it ain't 40 degrees. I know it's not, but the computer doesn't know that. Right. It has no way to tell other than all what that can, sensor tells it. Right. All it can do is trust that sensor because that sensor is supposed to be known good. Yep. So, right. But, yeah, if, if one input is wrong, all the calculations are going to be wrong because everything's based on that one sensor. Well, that may really mess up your truck. Yeah. <laughs> you know, as far as doing what it's supposed to do. Go yeah. To, you know, go up on a hill. I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to grade break. Now, there's no unnecessary parts, I can tell you. There, if it's in there, it's got to be in there, and it's going to be effective if it's not. There should be a code stored in the body computer. Yeah, our chassis our module. Our chassis module, if there's a problem. Yeah, she should. I mean, the only thing, the only thing I found was the, what, the one at the base of the steering column. That's the steering, steering angle sensor. One, so that's, that's not going to be the inclination. No, no, that's, no, that's steering the steering sensor. angle sensor. That just tells you the... It lets the vehicle know, right. yeah, the relationship between the yaw sensor and the steering angle sensor have to correlate unless you're turning the wheel. Right. Okay. Well, that was my question. All right. Thank y'all for y'all's time. Okay, man. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. right, got to take one more quick little break. We'll be right back with a whole lot more. We can shop tomorrow. I'm off to Agco for my car's general inspection. I take it once a year so the team at Agco can catch any potential problems before they become huge repairs down the road. You know, things like small rattles and shakes can become issues and you never can be too... A general inspection each year would be great for my marriage. Kate, thanks for bringing David in for his general inspection. Overall, he's in pretty good shape for an older model. I replaced his sensitivity regulator, which was getting a little worn. His not listening to my partner and leave the seat up lights were both about to come on, so I fixed that. As far as preventive maintenance, more fiber, less beer, and watch his portion control, especially on the weekends. And thank goodness for Agco. Kate? Kate, are you listening? Yeah, yeah, sorry. Sounds like a general inspection from Agco can improve my marriage. I I mean vehicle. Uh, Improve my vehicle. Keep your car on the road longer. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, president of Agco Automotive. Got our lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here by my side. Between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you may have. Just give us a call. Our number is 291-6901. Put a 225 in front of there. That's right. And you can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. And should you happen not to want to speak to us live or think of something after the show goes off the air today, you can get your questions answered seven days a week, 24 hours a day by going to our website which is agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. There's a contact bar on each and every page. Just click the little button, fill out the form, and send it on in. There you go. Couldn't be any easier than that. One of our earlier callers was discussing how he had changed the coolant, and then a couple of days, weeks, months later, the water pump went out. Right. And that can certainly happen where it's not changing the coolant that caused the pump to go out it may have revealed the problem but the sure. problem was already there sure as you had a water pump possibly the first coolant didn't get changed in time it had corroded up or maybe the pump just went bad because of the mileage you change the coolant there's a little bit of sludge in there holding it together the new you coolant kind of cleans it out cleans it out so then it starts leaking and 
some people say, well, that's a problem, but really and truly, do you want a little bit of sludge holding your water pump together? Not me. No, I don't. So I would prefer to know about it, but you have to be mindful. You will see that a lot of times, particularly on engines, higher mileage engines, people will change to synthetic oil. Sure. They've been running conventional oil. They'll change to a synthetic. And the next thing you know is it'll start to leak. And they'll say, oh, that synthetic oil made my engine leak. Well, no, not really. What it did, the synthetic oil is a much better detergent. It went in and cleaned up some of the sludge and stuff that maybe was holding some leaks that were already there together. Correct. And so now you see the leak more, but it didn't create the problem. It just revealed the problem. The point is, do you really want to ride around with a potential problem being covered up being covered up it's going to happen anyway sure sludge is not going to hold this engine together forever it may mask it for a little while but you know you can't be well just because i haven't done this i'm not going to do that i know last week we had a gentleman who called and he was saying and this is an age-old thing that we hear about he had serviced the transmission and it went out sure and again same thing it's not the service that made it go out if it were properly done it is the fact that it was not serviced for maybe 250,000 miles. The transmission is worn completely out. It's going out anyway. You change it two days, two weeks, two months later, it goes out. Right. You don't blame the service. Well, but sure. It just, it's the lack of service that caused the problem. Now, that being said, there are things you could do wrong when you're doing the service. Definitely with any service. With any service and create a problem. For instance, just to go back to our coolant issue, if you drain the coolant out and you dump a gallon of antifreeze into the radiator and you take the garden hose and you fill it up with city water, you have probably created a worse situation than you had had you not changed the coolant at all. You've done more harm than if you just left it alone. Right. You haven't properly mixed the coolant. You used the wrong kind you of water. You may have used the wrong kind of coolant. You've dumped city water, which is full of chlorine and fluoride and minerals that don't need to into be in a, a system, system that don't need to be in there. The point is sometimes doing maintenance wrong is just as bad as not doing the maintenance at all correct so if you're going to do it and you don't know how to do it then have it done if you want to do it get the information and do it properly correct same thing with the transmission if you tear it down pull the filter off cut the filter seal don't notice what you're doing put the new filter up when it's leaking around the seal it's aerating the fluid you put the wrong fluid in it. You don't put enough in there. Right. Well, yeah, the transmission can go out, but you it didn't die. You killed it. <laughs> you know? So there is a right way and a wrong way to do everything, and doing it the wrong way is not really any better than not doing it at all. Yep. In some cases, it may even be worse. Let's go back to phone lines. Mark, good morning, Mark. Hey, good morning, guys. How are you doing? Doing Sorry. great, sir. So I've got a 2006 Toyota Harrier. Okay. Um, as a Lexus because it's an import. It's got automatic lights, and... They don't seem to work as well as I think they should, so it has to get quite dark before the lights. Is that adjustable, or is the sensor like Not adjustable out, per se, but there's generally a little cover on top of that sensor, and a lot of times those will get knocked off. Like when someone's cleaning the dash, they may take a cloth and, and run across there and snag it and pull it off. Make sure that little cover is on there, because it's like right, a, little, okay. a little green or red cover, and that mask the amount of light that hits the sensor if it's gone even in what we consider low ambient light it'll take a lot before lights will come on now if it's on there and everything's working right some of them are just a little too sensitive and what i've done is just take like a piece of black tape punch a little small hole in it and put it over that thing just to filter the amount of light getting in there 
I had a Buick Park Avenue is that way. The lights would not come on until it was almost dark. I mean, I was embarrassed because everybody's lights were on and mine weren't. Eventually, they yeah, would come that's on. What I'm finding, yeah. And I just took a piece of black tape, put over the sensor, and punched a little small, about an eighth-inch diameter hole in it and fixed the problem. It just filtered the amount of light reaching the sensor. Oh, okay. So it thinks it's darker. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. yeah, it's not yeah, an yeah, adjustment okay. other than that, though. It's just strictly it sees the light and, you know, kills the lights, the headlights. Are they always in the same place on the Toyota? Whereabouts is it? They're generally in, in the, the middle of the dash over almost at the windshield. Right. Right. Okay. I'll have a look. Okay. How's the weather there in the UK? It's a bit gloomy today. It's been <laughs> nice weather recently, though. It's been pretty hot. Probably not as hot as you. Yeah. Uh, what's the temperature over there? We're about about mid nineties during the day. Yeah, mid nineties Fahrenheit and about seventy upper seventies during the, so at night. Quite so. warm. Quite warm. <laughs> quite warm. Yeah, I don't know what that is in uh, Celsius. I'll yeah, I'd have to do the conversion. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it's hot. Yeah, very hot. <laughs> <laughs> that covers it. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, thanks a lot. Have a nice week. All right, Mark. All right, man. Thanks, thanks. Call him in. Bye-bye. All right. That's uh, Mark Wadham from uh-huh. London, London, England. Yeah, he has a, a number of people over there that listen to the show. I guess I get a fair amount of email from Europe, right, particularly the English-speaking countries of Europe, and also from Australia. We, okay. get, we get quite a few email and, and folks who listen. I guess if, if you're multilingual, you can sure. listen wherever you are. That's but, it. Uh, you know, English is such a predominant worldwide language these days just about everyone around the country well, i can't say everyone around the world speaks some form, level, level some, of it yeah. you know? and i gotta say even the really really broken and chopped up english is better than my <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly my use of their language so yeah i met a lady yesterday from france and i was sitting there just trying to bring some of my old french back up right and i mean no matter how slow she talked i was able to follow her but I definitely was not able you have to, to work hold, at it. Hold huh? the conversation. Yeah, she she spoke fluent English, thank God. <laughs> so we were able to communicate anyway. But yeah, we were talking just a little bit about not doing maintenance correctly, and this can certainly happen with a do-it-yourselfer, but sure. it can also happen in a shop. shop. Yeah, there are a lot of shops out there that, for whatever reason, they just have their ways of doing things rather than the correct way. The correct way. Yeah, they don't check service data a lot of them just have not kept up so just because a guy has a shingle out front that says auto repair doesn't mean he can fix cars correctly that's right he just may not have kept up i don't think there's probably a lot of people who just don't care i think they do care they just haven't kept up with the, right. the standards well, and keeping up is expensive it's very expensive it's very time consuming and trying to do things the right way in an automotive shop nowadays is extremely expensive in that when you go and you want to change the coolant in your car, I had a gentleman emailed early. He says, should I buy my coolant from Toyota? Because I can get it $10 a gallon aftermarket. I mm-hmm. said, well, but you know, what's $10? When you consider the thousands of dollars of damage you could cause could by having right. the wrong coolant in the car. But again, to a shop, it's not one car. It is probably 25 different kinds of coolants that we have to stock for all the cars we're going to work on. Yep. As many or more transmission fluids to stock all these different fluids and all is expensive sure and, and you got to have the space to do it you got to have the place to do it if you got a smaller shop you probably just don't have room to keep all that stuff right so it's very very inviting to go to universal coolants and universal transmission fluids but it's not in the owner of the car's best interest no it's not so you got to watch the philosophy of the shop and generally if you talk to the shop owner or the service writer just a little bit ask him a few of the right kind of questions you can get a feel 
for how he's equipped, how he is supplied, mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. And if you ask him, you know, you do you put the original equipment coolant back in my car? Well, no, we use da da da. Why? Well, because it's less expensive. Right. If his reason is less expensive, then he is looking at things from a price standpoint and not an overall lowest cost standpoint. And many times you are not going to get your best service with that philosophy. Mm -hmm. Now, if price is the only thing that matters to you, then that's fine. You can do that, roll the dice, see what happens. But the reason we use the original equipment stuff is because it's cheaper to do that than to do something wrong and mess up three more things. Correct. You know, just like we said again and again and again, the only reason you do maintenance on your car is because it is less expensive than not doing it. It's cheaper to service a transmission and have a transmission go out. It's cheaper to change a fuel filter and have the fuel pump go out. Mm-hmm. You know, it's cheaper to change the coolant than to have the heater core and radiator go out. So what we're trying to do is lower our cost of driving, the overall lowest cost. That's not always going to be the lowest overall initial price because the price is just the amount of money you hand over. But the cost is the amount of money you hand over plus everything else that gets torn <laughs> up in the process, the price of redoing the job divided by how long it's all going to last. Right. You know, I had a lady who came in the shop the other day and we had made an estimate to do some repair work on her air conditioner and she came in and she had had the work done elsewhere and she says, well, he was cheaper. And I get to looking at the, at the job he did and he did not change the hoses, which were leaking, did not change the fan clutch, which was making some noise and not operate properly i think he put a rebuilt air conditioning compressor on it had not changed several of the components that we were going to change so the initial price was cheaper the initial price was cheaper but when this unit goes south and it's going to tear up everything in that system so all the parts you put on there are not only wasted all the other stuff that gets torn up in the process will have to be replaced, be replaced also to make the system work correctly again. Right, because if one piece of trash is caught in that condenser that he didn't change and it cycles through, it yes. may take a month, it may take three months, gets yes. to that compressor, well, now you're into an entire new system again. Sure, because that compressor is going to come apart and all of those little pieces are going to end up in the, in well, the system. Well, it's going to further contaminate the comp- condenser, but it's also going to get into the expansion valve. Sure. It's going to plug up any of the mufflers and the the hoses and all in the hoses so the point is when you you want everybody wants to save money but you save money by doing it the best you can do it the first time correct which is way especially with air conditioning with air conditioning or say an automatic transmission because the nature of a failure is that it's going to take the entire system out right it's catastrophic every single time there's when the compressor fails it throws metal to every part of that system so you go in and change half those parts you have absolutely wasted your money. Sure. Because not only will those parts be wasted, but it's going to further contaminate the rest of the system, and it's all got to be done over the right way anyway, sooner or later, if you're going to have air conditioning, unless you're just going to say, well, I'm, I'm going to just live without it, which going to tough good, down here. Good luck with that. Like yeah. I said, I can't do the Celsius uh, conversion, but I do know <laughs> 95 degrees is hot, Yeah, particularly when you got 100% humidity out there. So the point is, the reason that you do it right is because it's less expensive than doing it than wrong. Doing it wrong. Same reason you buy a higher quality car, because it's less expensive overall than buying a cheaper car. Correct. I see we're just about out of time. Start wrapping on up. Get on out of here. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. Tell your friends. Go to your favorite broadcast, rebroadcast service, and find a written view and fill it out for us. That's right. Fill out that written review. It'll move us up in the rankings so more people can listen. If you can't find a review, just go to Google and put one for our shop. We'd appreciate that also. 
a preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.